Good morning, and uh, as Pastor Dwight has already mentioned, we are finishing, finishing a series that we began at the beginning of September on the family, focused on the family, and so I've got the privilege of talking this morning about the family of God, and uh, you know, this topic, I want to encourage you that if you haven't gone back to the website, you can go to rockchurchrocchurch.com and catch up on any message that you missed because we've talked about so many different topics in regards to God's design for family. It's so important that we talk about this because how many of you guys know that uh, the family is not a social institution, it's a God invention. God's got a design for family and it's important that we continue to go back to scripture to see what God's intentions for, for family looks like because if we look to culture, we know this about culture, it's always ever evolving. And so the institution of family for the rest of our time on earth will continue to look different if it's shaped by culture. Because as culture changes, family will change. And so we got to go back to scripture. If God invented family, he's got a, a design for family and we can find that in scripture. Amen. And so we will, as Redeemer Church, we'll continue to go back to this topic and continue to remind ourselves about what God's heart is for family. Amen? Amen. So I, I want to continue to talk about this because it's not a social institution. It's a God invention. And uh, I want to talk specifically, though, about the family of God. Pastor Dwight and Tammy have done an amazing job talking about the family unit and what, it, what, what God says about marriage, what uh, God says about parenting, what God says about the finances in a family. Last week, he talked about uh, developing a legacy for your particular family. Yeah. But the exciting thing about talking about the family of God is this. It's whether or not you are married or single or have kids or don't have kids. Oh, right. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you now belong to the family of God. Amen. Whether you feel like an orphan or you feel like you're alone, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're part of a family. That's right. This church is a family. Amen. It's a value of this house that we are a family and we're made up of family units. Whether or not you are married or single, you're a part of the family of God. Amen. Every person represented here who has faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is part of this family. I love what Derek Prince, uh, we have so many books written by Derek Prince. He's actually, his ministry is a friend to Redeemer's Church. And he says this about family. He says, family is central to our understanding of God's people. His people are very seldom referred to by the title Christians. Do you know that the term, the first time in the book, uh, in, in, in Scripture, that Christian was used to describe a follower of Jesus was from the outside. It was never even used uh, by Christians to describe themselves, which should tell you about the, the faithfulness of followers of Jesus in the early church. That people who didn't even know who they were called them Christians. And so that word meant little Christ. And so, but this word was not necessarily used by the church to de describe itself. He goes on to say this, the most common title used by Christians in reference towards one another is brother, 
emphasizing membership in one spiritual family. It was brother and sister. How many of you in this church have referenced someone else in this body as a brother or sister? You get it. That's family. It's not about being a Christian because if it was just about being Christian, it could be like a, like a business. But brother or sister shows family. So this morning, I want to take a look at what this family of God is supposed to look like. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for this family. God, we thank you for your heart for family, your design for family. And God, as we uh, look at scripture to figure out what you have to say about family, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be inspired, God, to here at Redeemer's Church represent the family of God well, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 How many of you guys know that every family has a set of characteristics? These characteristics, for the sake of the sermon uh, I'm going to be sharing today, these, the, this set of characteristics I want to call distinctives. Distinctives. And so, you know, every family has a set of characteristics, and these distinctives serve to distinguish every family from every other family. See, how many of you guys may have that weird uncle? Okay? That is a distinctive that you can look at that distinguishes him from everybody else. See, this set of characteristics are distinctives. They, they set the family apart. So you guys know what I'm talking about. These distinctives can be people in the family. They can be uh, family behaviors. They are your race. They are your religion. They are your ethnicity. They are your traditions. They're your values. They're the way that you interact with one another, etc., 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 etc. Every one of these sets of characteristics for your family are distinctives that distinguish your family from everyone else. I'll never forget, uh, growing up, uh, our family had certain distinctives, just like any other family, and one of that was that in our family, things were primarily laid back, uh, more quiet, just kind of chilled out. And then I started to go out with Allison, <laughs> and I learned very quickly that her family's distinctives were in contradiction to my family's distinctives. And uh, so we were going out, and uh, she's, one of the distinctives of her family is that things are lively, to use a positive word. <laughs> things are excitable. Things are loud. Um, uh, a piercing loud at moments. <laughs> And uh, things are just, just energetic. And I'll never forget uh, some of the, the first experiences uh, with her family and, and the clash of the two distinctives. And uh, just so you guys kind of know, like, I want to show a picture really quick. Uh, this is what, uh, what I was reminded of as I was preparing the sermon and thinking about uh, Allison's distinctives, like, it reminded me of the chaos of the New York Stock Exchange. This is a picture of what 
This is a picture of what the kitchen can look like when people, after we prayed, everyone's trying to get their food. This is what it can look like. There's plates high, there's plates low, there's kids running around, there's, you know, shuffling around the, 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 uh, the, the counter or the island, and it's loud and it's crazy. And I'll never forget, like, some of the first interactions, I had to go to another room to just get a breather. If you, how many of you are in my shoes? You, go, you, you know what I'm talking about. You go and you're like, I just gotta, I gotta get quiet. And uh, to my surprise and enjoyment, I found a couple other brother-in-laws in that same room. And so I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was alone in the, the reality of what we had walked into. It was like, no one needed to say anything. You just looked at each other and it was like, I get it. What we were experiencing was the clash of distinctives. And so, you know, it's still to this day, I, I, I have um, evolved as a person. My personality has kind of changed being married to Allison. So I, 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 can, I can deal more and enjoy more of the loudness. And, and I know that I've changed because when I go home for family gatherings, I, it is just almost uncomfortable at times how quiet it is. We're, for instance, uh, because we've got uh, three kids, we will uh, particularly be the people that show up latest to a family gathering. So we'll get there, and if you've ever walked into a room where um, the, the, the show doesn't go on until everybody gathers, it can be a little bit awkward. You know, with the Bennett family, it's like, we're just going to go ahead and eat, and whenever you get here, you get here. Our family, it's like the show doesn't start till everybody is present. And so we'll show up late because it's just the reality. And we come and we come into a room where everybody, it's like two people are talking and everyone else is just listening to two people talking. And when the, it's so quiet, the door opens and everybody's head turns. <laughs> and you, you have to like shuffle in in shame. Because whether or not they say it, it's like you feel like they've been waiting on you to get there, to move forward with life. And it's so, it's almost so awkward at times. But it's the clash of two distinctives. The family of God is no different. The family of God has unique distinctives, Amen. unique characteristics that serve to distinguish the family of God from every other family. See, I, I want to start with the end in mind. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelations we're going to look at Revelation 7, and we're going to look particularly at verses 9 and 10. I want to start here because the privilege of Revelation is that we get to read a book that foreshadows not only what the end of times is going to look like, but we get so many descriptive pictures of what heaven looks like. And I want to start here because I want everyone in the room to see how John describes what the family of God looks like in heaven at the end. See, if we don't value the description of heaven in Revelation now, how are we going to get there to see God's heart fulfilled? 
And so I want you to take a look at this scripture. It's Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And this is John the Apostle speaking. He says, After this I looked, and behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude, so huge that no one can count. Now that in and of itself, I want you to know, is the fulfillment of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. Remember in uh, Genesis, I believe it's 22, God says, your descendants will number the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And now John is getting a picture of heaven where you can't even count everybody that's present. But it's not because they are from the ancestral line of Abraham. It is because they are there because they have the same faith that Abraham had. They are there as part of the family of God, and they are Abraham's descendants because of faith, not because the distinctive is that they are from directly from his genetic ancestral line. This is the beauty of the family of God, is that we are all part of it by faith in Jesus. And so... The beauty of it is this. It's so huge that no one can count. It was a vast multitude of people. An enormous multitude, so huge that no one can count, made up of victorious ones. Now listen to this. From every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language, they were all in glistening white robes, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches, in their hands, and they shouted out with a passionate voice, Salvation belongs to our God. See, they all got the same Father now. Seated on the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a beautiful picture of what the family of God looks like. Two simple but profound distinctives. I love These two things are what describe the family at the end. They're so simple, but they're profound. Number one, two distinctives of the family of God at the end of days. Number one, the family of God is a massive family. If you don't like big families, you're going to have to change. Okay? It is a massive, massive family. You won't be able to count everybody. There's so many people there. If you... I was thinking about, I was just read, th- read this, I was thinking about um, how difficult it will be to get a family picture in heaven. I want to show you how difficult, you already know what I'm talking about. You can have three people, and for some reason, nobody, n- not all three people can look at the camera at the same time. Look at this. This is a picture from uh, Pigeon Roost uh, of our family. It's all five of us. Judy, if you could put that up. Um, this is... Just five people. Now, we've kind of given up on uh, Zeke every, ever looking at the camera at this age. That's like, it doesn't even matter. But Allison and I are turned around at Gideon because he thinks it's funny to throw the picture off. So we're, looking, we're turned around that way because we're like, can you, just, can you just look at the camera just for 30 seconds? And, you know, he, what, what? Just look at the 30 seconds, that's all I'm asking for. Imagine getting a family pick in heaven. This is five people. You got so many people you can't count, just let it go. 
family of God is a massive family. And the second beautiful attribute or distinctive of the family of God is it is a diverse family. It is a diverse family. It said every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language will be represented in the family of God. That ain't talking about aliens, y'all. You know what that's talking about? Every person, people group, language, nation, tribe on the earth will have representation in the family of God. Every one of them. I love the beauty of that. If there are unreached tribes, people groups, languages, nations, we're not done yet. Because the scripture tells us at the end that God's heart is he wants all of them represented in the family. This is a beautiful picture. It's a diverse family. See, one of God's big family distinctives is diversity. Young, old, male, female, black, white, Asian, African, Hispanic, Jewish, Arab, etc., etc., etc. Every nation, tribe, language, people group will all be represented. Now, why? Because diversity illustrates God's creativity. Diversity illustrates God's creativity. God is a creator God. Do you think that God would allow the creation through our multiplication of every tribe, every language, every uh, people group to come onto the earth without wanting every one of them to be represented in heaven at the end? He allowed through our multiplication for every tribe, language, people, group, ethnicity to come upon the earth so that every one of them could be represented in heaven. God, that's beautiful. It is a diverse family because diversity illustrates God's creativity. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. From the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily seen or perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. All of creation testifies to God's love for diversity. Because in creation, diversity is everywhere. No tree is the same. No flower is the same, no star is the same, no animal is the same. Nothing in creation is uniform. Nothing in creation is uniform. It is all diverse. Psalms 139 says, you, say you, you. are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know there is no other you on the planet? You know why? Because God loves diversity. And some of us should thank God that there isn't two of us. All the people that didn't say amen were like, well, it's talking about me. You are an original just so God could display his creativity in your diversity. Nothing on in creation is the same. I love what Psalms 19 
verses 1 and 2 says, God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning. And Professor Knight lectures each evening. What sunset is ever the same? Diversity illustrates his creativity. He's a creator. And so he's going to illustrate that by creativity. You ever wonder why there are galaxies that we will never see? Because God satisfies his creative ability just in creating galaxies. We may never see them, but it would defy his nature to make everything uniform. It's so beautiful. See, what's interesting, though, about all of, like, everything that God has created, and this is where, this is like a setup right here. What's interesting about humanity that makes it different from everything else that God created is that humanity is the only thing created that can use its own distinctives purposefully to cause division and separation. not a tree looking at another tree like if you're not an oak we're not hanging out there's no flower saying why can't we be friends I had to channel a little Harold real quick humanity is the only thing God created that can use its own distinctives purposefully to cause division and separation. This happens racially. This happens ethnically. This happens socially. This happens with age and gender. It happens religiously. Any human distinctive can lend itself to be used to cause division and separation in humanity. Any one of them. And what we have to be careful of as the family of God is not to allow any of those things to infiltrate the way that we do church. And we're seeing a little infiltration, right? You're seeing, um, it's like the elephant in the room where church is super young. And you come in walking in a little bit older, you just don't feel like this is home. See, we have to make sure that we do not limit the gospel to certain demographics. Now, I understand that there are churches that are called to certain people groups. Yes and amen. But we have to make sure that as Redeemer's Church, that we are a church that best represents what heaven looks like. Which means... That we cannot confine our mission to certain demographics. If we are a kingdom church, part of that apostolic nature is saying, if you're a human being, you're here. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we have to look at this. See, anytime distinctives are used to cause division, we have a term for it. It's called prejudice. But I'd like to suggest to you this morning... That it is the sin nature that came into the world through Adam and Eve that corrupted that in the heart of man. 
and gave way for the opportunity for people to use their distinctives against another person's distinctives for the purpose of division. I got good news, though. What the first Adam brought into the world in sin, the second Adam, Jesus reversed. In the soul of man and through Jesus, not only are we restored back to God, but listen to me, all of humanity has the ability to be restored back to one another and celebrate one another's diversity in unity instead of using it to, to divide one another. See, this is what was part of what God brought his son into the world to do. Not just to reconcile us back to the Father without reconciling us back to one another. If you say you're a daughter of God or a son of God without, with, but put limitations on who can be a brother and sister, you got it messed up. Because you are not the only son or daughter. I got good news. Y'all in a big family. And it is a diverse family. Listen to me. It is union with Christ alone. This is why Jesus is so powerful in the hostile culture that we live in. It is Jesus alone that redeems the fallen nature of man because it is a fallen issue and will establish the family of God back to the place where people are united in their diversity instead of their diversity being used for division. See, the kingdom of God is unified, not uniform. We want everybody to look the same, to be in the family. That's not a distinctive of the family of God. It is unity, not in uniformity, it's unity and diversity. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We might read the whole chapter because it's so good. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. Even if you don't agree, just say amen so that people don't look at you when you're quiet. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God, this is so good. For it was only through this wonderful grace, say grace, Grace. that we believed in him, that is Jesus. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to, to Christ. You know what that tells us? There is no distinctive that will make us worthy for the grace of God. You know what that says? What Paul is talking about is your distinctive Jewishness does not make you worthy of salvation. It's for everybody because it is by grace that you've been saved, not your ancestral tracing back to Abraham. See, what, what this does is it levels the playing field and makes everyone, no matter their personal distinctives, dependent upon the grace of God to become part of the family. Verse 9, so no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, because he's a creator, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus 
Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Don't sleep on the rest of this verse, I'm just saying. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel. He's talking to Gentile believers now. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises of the Messiah, the promise, hope, and without God. In other words, hey, Gentiles, you had none of the distinctives. You had none of them to be a part of this. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, you have now been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. I cannot be united to Christ and divided from my brother and sister. If we are all united to him, that means we are united to each other. We can't. We can't, it's like, if, if Christ was a body, it's, we can't do this. I can't, Dwight, you know, since, you know, you're the closest to Jesus in the room. Can you just come up? Yeah, yeah, right now. <laughs> if we're united to him, we're united to each other. You know what that means? That means that I can't be like, if this is the body of Christ, I can't be like, Everybody else can grab your, the other arm. I'm just going to be connected here. But everybody else, like, can you go, like, can you be on the other side of him? If we're united to him, we're united to each other. And the family is big enough that you're going to be crowding yourself out if you're trying to barely hold on to a union with him so you don't touch anybody else. If we're united to Christ, you can sit down. Thank you, Pastor Jesus. <laughs> if we're united to him, we're united to one another. Verse 14. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ by dying as our sacrifice. He has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union. Verse 15. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved. By the crucifixion of his precious body. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us now has been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Jews and non-Jews fused together. Two, two, two have now become one, and we live restored to God and reconciled in his body of Christ. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. Are you getting a theme? For the Messiah has come to preach the sweet message of peace to you, the ones who are distant and those who are near. And now, because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come to the same Father. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the holy or the city of the holy ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. Amen. Amen. One of the things Father God intended to do through Jesus' death on the cross was to remove the power that any distinctive could have to produce division between human beings by having Jesus be the unifying force unifying us back to the Father and back to one another. So we're misunderstanding the gospel 
if we think that God only wanted to restore us back to him and not each other. See, the reason why Jesus was a second Adam is because the first Adam brought sin into the world, which led to corruption of the heart and the disunity of a family because God's original intention was that through Adam and Eve, his son and daughters, his family would multiply and subdue the earth. And that got distorted by sin. So he had to bring another Adam into the world and through faith redo what Adam did in the first place. He still wants a diverse family. This is part of it. God does not want a family that loves him but fights each other and is divided against one another. God wants a family that doesn't just recognize that they are a child of God without embracing others as children of God too. There's a quote from uh, a pastor. He says this. He says, the kingdom of God looks like family. The centerpiece of the kingdom is family. One of the primary distinctions to the body of Christ is the diversity of it. But sadly, one of the things we are not known for is celebrating the aspects of the diversity in the body of Christ. Sadly and unfortunately, historically, the church is more known for having an autoimmune disease. We attack other parts of the body to try to elevate our part of the body to say that we all got it sorted out. Anytime we use our preferences as a means of superiority or as a means to elevate myself and say that I have it going on and you don't, then I have chosen to partner with an autoimmune disease. The body of Christ is meant to be diverse. It should be diverse. And it is at its best when it is diverse. So why, this, why is this important here at Redeemer's Church? It's important because one of the prophetic words that was spoken over this house in January of 2018 was this, that God wants all of his children to come here. Amen. Amen. He said it. Now, what distinctives have you attached to what that looks like? Because scripture shows us that the family is probably bigger and more diverse than we could have ever imagined. And in order to become a house where all of God's children come to, there needs to be an undoing of any distinctives that would get in the way of that. And so if we're going to be a church where all of the family of God comes to, then we have to embrace the Father's heart for diversity. So how do, how do we do this? How do we do this at 1850 Courtright Road? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 29. This is where the whole message derived from. This scripture, I don't know why, it just came up in my spirit about a month ago. It just, was, I don't even know where I was. It just came to the surface. And I love this. The, the context of this is, is this. Paul is addressing the church in Galatia. And he's addressing essentially what causes one to become a child of God, thus becoming part of the family of God. And it's, it here, it's, it, it's, it, it's either adherence to the law or faith in Jesus Christ alone. One of the problems that he was seeing in the church was that they weren't interacting with each other the way the family of God is supposed to treat each other. They were allowing certain distinctives to remain sources of division among them And Paul had to correct them and let them know that the distinctives that produce division after Christ now have to be seen differently. And so he writes this in verse 27 through 29. For all of you 
who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That word is baptizo. And what it is is this. See, we, we confuse what baptism is. Baptism, Romans 6 says we are baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into water, we get out of the tank, get a towel, and dry the water off of ourselves. But the word baptizo means that when you are baptized into something, it has now become who you are. So when you get baptized into Jesus, that means you put Jesus on. And you now see everything through Jesus' eyes. You now interact with one another through Jesus in the way Jesus would interact. It's not that you baptize yourself in faith and, and you just do a water baptism, but you are actually taking what, is, what you got baptized into and now it becomes a part of you. This is what he's saying. You are baptized into Christ. Now, now there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, your oneness with Christ must change the way you interact with your brothers and sisters. And verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. The Passion Translation says this in verse 28. Now stick with me. And we Christians no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. It's interesting because Paul talks about three distinctive pairs of human qualities here, Jew and non-Jew. You know what that is? That's a racial slash ethnic distinctive. Rich and poor. What that is is that's not only a economic level distinctive, but that's a social class distinctive. And then he goes into male and female, which is a gender distinctive. And the, it's interesting that he says, Jew or non-Jew, richer or Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, male or female. And he uses those three specifically. Do you want to know why? Here's why. See, it's important that what was going on was he was addressing a Jewish custom of a specific prayer that Jewish men would pray in the morning. Listen to me. Every morning, customarily, traditionally, Jewish men would wake up in the morning and look at the prayer that they would pray. Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This was a prayer that the Jewish men would wake up and pray. Why? Because the distinctives were causing division in the body. And they were putting barriers on who was accepted and who wasn't. If you don't think Jesus actually references this, he actually talks about a parable in Luke 18 where there's a man saying, Lord, I thank you that I am not as poor as him. Paul says, in the new covenant, bye. That 
has to go. See, what resulted is that these free Jewish men were treating Gentiles, slaves and women, differently because they weren't like him. You remember when Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles? And Paul in Galatians 3 or 2 says, I had to check Peter. Because Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles. And then James and his other Jewish brothers came around. And Peter left the table because he didn't want to be associated because there was a unsurrendered group, there was unsurrendered distinctives in his friends that were saying, why are you sitting at that Gentile table? And Paul had to come and rebuke Peter because this, this racial distinctive was causing division on who was welcomed into the family or not. See, the danger is if I see my faith, now this is, this is the whole crux of the message, if I see my faith through the lens of my distinctives instead of seeing my distinctives now through my faith in Jesus, then I will give my distinctives the power to distort my faith. The danger of that is that it can impact who I will believe my faith applies to and who I believe Jesus wants to reach through me. So Paul was addressing this mentality. See, it's not that our... Now, this is the important thing, because, like, you know, people are freaking out, like, am I no, like, am I no longer white? Am I, am I genderless now? <laughs> like, no. Every distinctive you have you carry into the kingdom because God is not asking for uniformity. He's calling, calling, it, calling the family diverse. But it's that you disarm your distinctives from the power of producing division. If you look at the history of America, there have been distinctives, even in the body of Christ, that have justified certain behaviors towards other people. Why? Because they're seeing their faith through the lens of their distinctives instead of seeing their distinctives through the lens of their faith. Good. Let me give you an example. See, it is that in Christ our distinctives are no longer allowed to be used to produce division. In Christ they are disarmed of their divisive power so that we could become the diverse family of God that we can see in the book of Revelation. So how do we do this? We have to see every distinctive that could cause division through the lens of our faith instead of using our distinctives that could produce division as the lens through which we see our faith in Jesus. It's a reversal. So how do we do this? Paul addressed the Gentile distinctive. Now stay with me. Here's an example. I don't know if you know, everybody knows this. I'm white. But I am not a white Christian. I am a Christian that happens to be white. You know what the extreme of that example is? The Ku Klux Klan. A distinctive seeing faith through, seeing faith through it. Instead of seeing it the other way around. I'm not a white Christian. 
I'm a Christian that happens to be white. So the reality of that is I don't allow my color to determine how I interact with people. This is what Paul is talking about. If I see myself through the lens of my race, I can use my distinctives, distinctive race to produce division and determine who I will accept into the family of God and who I want to reach with the message of Jesus Christ. I, I call it a privilege that I grew up in a primarily African-American neighborhood. They called me Opie, whatever. <laughs> even though I didn't even got blonde hair, or you know what I mean, whatever. Call me Opie, whatever. I don't care. But when I became the youth pastor in 2010, I'll be honest, the youth ministry got increasingly blacker. And it wasn't that because I was like, we need to reach this group. It just happened. And we can look into the reasons why that happened. Maybe it happened because when I grew up where I grew up, I learned and was just comfortable interacting with, with black teenagers. And so it became increasingly blacker. But you know what was really interesting? After it became increasingly blacker, I had, some, I had a couple youth leaders start to say, you know, why aren't we doing any outreaches in the suburbs? And I had to wonder, are, there, are they seeing anything through a distinctive? Is it bothering them that now it's, it's getting more diverse? See, I had to wonder that. You know, the second one was this, rich or poor. It's a socioeconomic distinctive. I'm not a middle-class Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be in the middle class. If I'm, not, if I'm a middle class Christian, then I can use that distinctive to limit who I can share the gospel with and who I even want in the church. Right. Right. Do you know, I have heard stories. I've heard stories where people have worked in certain ministries that involve lower class socioeconomic level people. They bring them to churches. And people pull them aside and say, that's not really our demographic. Right. Okay. You must have not read the end of the book. You know what the problem with that is? It's a distinctive that they're looking through to determine what their faith is supposed to look like. And it's actually requiring uniformity instead of celebrating diversity and unity. See, the thing I love about the new covenant is Jesus touched the untouchables. <laughs> Jesus, in the old covenant, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. In the new covenant, Jesus touches a leper, and the leper becomes clean. This is the reversal. And so he touches everybody and puts, levels the playing field and says, I don't care who you are, old, young, black, white, male, female, doesn't matter what your distinctives are, everybody gets to the table. You remember when the disciples were trying to shoo the children away? 
That was a social class thing. Because the little kids, no, you're disruptive. This is adults here. Don't disrupt what the adults are doing here. The disciples thought that they had earned the right to be in the presence of Jesus. And so these little kids are like, Jesus? I want to be around Jesus. And they're like, get out of here. And he says, nope. You're using your age distinctive to determine who gets the gospel. And then he, he checks them. Go ahead and part ways, guys, because you think you actually earn proximity. They didn't do anything. Come here, guys, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. See, it was an age distinctive. Socioeconomic class. And lastly, male and female, the gender distinctive. I'm not a man that is a Christian. Christian. I'm a Christian that just so happens to be a man. If my Christianity is defined by my masculinity, it can affect how I see women in the church and in ministry and what their role is. I was thinking about this one, and I came to realize that in Matthew 27, 55, it says, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to him and were there looking on from afar. And I had to question myself, if Jesus is okay with receiving ministry from a woman, what is wrong with me not embracing what a woman can preach? He leveled the playing field. You are, see, let me just backtrack. You know, we talk about, like, um, race. And, and can I just say this? How many of you have heard someone say, I don't see color? Anybody ever say that? I want you to see color. And celebrate it. Right. See, there's something subtle in the heart that says, I don't see color, as if you don't want to. (laughs) No, I want you to see color and celebrate it. I want you to see male and female and celebrate it. I want you to see upper class, lower class, middle class and celebrate it. Rich, poor, young, old, male, female, African American, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. It's the family of God. And that distinctive causes the family of God to look uniquely different and be unlike any other family on the planet. So how does Redeemer do the best that we can to model the diversity of the family of God? By not giving personal distinctives that are not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, the power to define how we see the family of God and interact with one another as well as those we reach. We have to make sure our preferences do not give root to prejudices and our distinctives do not produce division. For the family of God is beautiful because it is united to Christ and unified in diversity to one another. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go back to where we started this morning. 
Revelation 7, 9. And behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude so huge that no one could count, made up of the victorious ones from every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language. They were all glistening in white robes, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, with palm branches in their hands. The Father is anticipating a diverse family, not a uniform one. Let's be a church that embraces what the family of God is supposed to look like. You know what I love about Redeemers is that at Redeemers, Aaron and Laura, we are better with you guys here than before you were here. Isaac and Neem, we're better with you here than before you were here. Bill and Mary, I don't know if there was ever a time where you weren't here. (laughs) But if, if there was, we are better now because you are here than before you were here. Duncan, we are better now because you and your family are here than we were before you were here. Dave and Kim, I could go across the room. Are you getting my point? Every age, every color, every class, male, female, this is what the family of God looks like. There is no box and there is no limitation. And what is required for redeemers to best represent the family of God is to remove any distinctives that we are seeing our faith through so that all of God's children can come here. That's good. The family of God is a beautiful tapestry that demonstrates the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only he can bring every race together, every age together, every social class together, every economic class together through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And It's not that we lose our distinctives, but they are disarmed after Jesus of their power to produce division. So as we close, I want to take a moment. I want us to search our hearts. And i got two questions that I want to pose. I'm going to just put those up. Is there any distinctive in me? that is causing me to be divisive in any way because I haven't surrendered it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And two, is there any distinctive in me that is preventing me from embracing the diversity of the family of God? I just want to take a moment before the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord to reveal anything in you, any distinctive, that is actually a filter you see your faith through instead of seeing those distinctives through Jesus. And this may be a time to repent. Say, Lord, help me to see the kingdom the way that you see it. So let's just take a moment, bow your heads.